Good morning, everybody. It's March 22nd, 2021. I'm Herb Morgan, founder, chief investment officer of Efficient Market Advisors. We are a business of Cantor Fitzgerald Investment Advisors. And you can, of course, follow me on uh, Twitter, on LinkedIn. And this economic and weekly, <laughs> weekly economic and market commentary is now available to you as a podcast. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Pandora, or Alexa. Uh, some of those may still be pending, but I encourage you to, uh, if you're interested, uh, tune in on those uh, particular outlets. Okay, let's get right into it today. Uh, no part of this presentation is investment advice. It's designed for use with both financial advisors and Investors, there are no investment advice, no recommendations for the purchase or sale of any securities. Let's get right into it this week. We had a negative week in equity markets last week as interest rates continued to kick a little bit higher. Markets are beginning to get a little bit concerned about the level of borrowing and spending associated with not only the most recent stimulus package, uh, but proposed additional stimulus packages and infrastructure spending all of that at the same time, while well, the U.S. economy is reopening uh, and it has, has significant pent-up demand, because of all of that, interest rates going higher, that causes the discount rate for stocks to go higher as well, therefore setting stocks a little bit lower. We think this is a temporary pause in the equity market movement, and that will probably end rather soon and be reversed as we move closer and closer to earnings season for the first quarter which will end, of course, at the end of March. Last week, the S&P down about three quarters of a percent. Small cap, which had been the big winner for the year, for the year, small cap still up over 21%, which is great. A little pointer there. Small cap down 3% of the week. Emerging markets and uh, the Acqui all down. EFI up, though, the one winner last week, up about 60 basis points. Interest rates continue to edge higher with the 10-year U.S. Treasury touching about 1.7 during the week. That's got the ag now, the aggregate bond index, down about 3.6% for the year, but the longer-dated U.S. Treasury index down almost 15%. The other bit of news in the Treasury market last week was that the Federal Reserve said, hello, banks, you can no longer basically count uh, treasuries as cash. They do fluctuate in value. Uh, and that was sort of one move off of the pandemic-related aggressiveness of the Fed, the accommodative nature of the Fed. They're going to go very, very slowly. And we'll talk about the Fed as we move through the commentary or now podcast uh, throughout the week. Let's get into the economic data last week because it also was a little bit disappointing, quite frankly. Uh, but all of that, I think, can be explained. There was no major negatives last week in the economic data. The Empire State or New York State Manufacturing Survey was up, uh, and it was up more than expected. So I wouldn't say that one was disappointing at all. 17.4 versus 15. New orders fell a little bit. Employment fell a little bit. Still positive numbers. Future employment, though, surged as vaccines take hold and immunity takes hold begin to see the end of the pandemic-related shutdown. Probably the best and most amazing number on the week was the Philly Fed survey, a regional manufacturing survey, just like the New York or Empire State. 
It went to 51.8, and I, when I first saw the headline come across last week, I thought, well, I better double-check that. That could be a mistake because it's the highest reading I've ever seen. In 1973, the last time there was a reading this high, I was in the third grade. The GDP that year grew almost 8%, and we see similar big gains in GDP this year, which again causes a, uh, bring, poses the question, why do we need economic stimulus? New orders rose from 23.4 to 50.9. That's huge. Shipments rose, employment rose, and back to that expectation, sort of this confidence in the future, significant gain there, 61.6. Manufacturing is on a comeback. I will say manufacturing was very hard hit by the shutdown, had very much uh, a, a difficult time in coming back from the shutdown and is still suffering from supply chain issues, computer chip shortages, for example, in the automobile sector. Um, so manufacturing, the demand is there uh, and they are starting to catch up. We expect this to be a really great year for US manufacturing businesses. On the price side though, when you have this much economic activity cut, coupled with massive monetary stimulus, coupled with massive fiscal stimulus, you begin to worry about inflation. You remember after that 1973 period, we got into some pretty significant inflationary periods through the rest of the 70s and the early 80s until, the, uh, until we raised interest rates so much and engineered that recession with, uh, with the Fed Chair Volcker and President Reagan uh, at the helm of the, uh, of, the, of the executive branch at the time. Import prices rose 1.3%. That was more than expected. Uh, export prices 1.6% big moves higher. Uh, you can see now on, a, on the export prices there on a year-over-year -year basis up more than 5%. That's certainly good for profitability, but import prices rising as well. Just tells you what it is. It's essentially a little bit of a devaluation of currency. It's a drop in the value of the dollar where you keep adding so much to supply, natural supply and demand forces. That being said, plenty of deflationary pressures at work as well, as many economists would argue. Retail sales, remember they had that massive move higher in January, up 7.6%. In February, they dropped three, much worse than the expected drop of a half a percent. But we've got March stimulus checks that have now hit for many people in the month of March. The continued reopening, Retail, I'm in California. Retail just has been open a little over a week uh, at reduced capacity. So we expect, although that was a drop, it was a drop off of a huge month, and we expect that to rebound very, very quickly. Back to manufacturing, industrial production, and capacity utilization. Interestingly, industrial production expected to go higher. It actually dropped. Largest factor, there was a severe weather pattern in February. We all know about this, massive amounts of snow, record snowfalls in places like Colorado. But the supply chain challenges that I mentioned earlier continue to persist, continue to persist in technology. Good for margins for the tech side, but um, the, the demand is there and we shut down very quickly and the reopening in many cases is taking longer and is more challenging than anticipated. Manufacturing production fell 3%. Capacity utilization also fell to 73.8. Now, as I talked about some things that are inflationary, here's one of those things that is deflationary. Capacity utilization below 75% in 
rarely correlates with any amount of inflation. In fact, you don't start seeing inflationary pressures until capacity utilization is closer to 80%. Business inventories continue to rise right in line with expectations up three tenths of a percent. Uh, you can see a lot of monthly gains in a row. We've got three, four, five, six, seven consecutive monthly gains of an increase in business inventories. That can be problematic if sales are not going up or if sales are going down, but sales are going up more than the increase in inventories. In fact, the inventory to sales ratio dropped to 1.26. That bodes well for continued future economic activity for the remainder of 2021. Now let's get into housing. We all know that housing has been on an incredible tear. The National Association of Home Builders Sentiment Index, that's the sentiment of the builders themselves. How do they feel about their business and their business prospects? It fell and it missed expectations, but this number is, is fantastic. Uh, anything above 50 is good. They are doing great, but they did say that affordability, they can build them. Uh, there's a lot of demand, but a little bit less than there was a month or two ago. Affordability, because of things like lumber prices doubling in the last six months, because of things like interest rates starting to rise, affordability is becoming more of an issue for many Americans. Uh, but that being said, overall, still very positive for the housing market. Speaking of housing market, starts and permits were released for the month of February. Starts fell and we're below expectations, 1.4 million versus 1.6 expected. Permits fell big as well, 1.7 versus estimate of 1.75 or 1.8. Again, affordability, a little bit higher rates, costs of subs, cost of things like lumber, definitely impacting builders' decisions there, when, when to pull permits and when to begin construction. Weekly claims for unemployment and, you know, down, great, but not, uh, excuse me, up actually 770 versus an estimate of about 700. Continuing claims were down, down from 4.14 to 4.12. That's really basically an unchanged. This is the argument for the economic stimulus. The, uh, I read a statistic last week, the unemployment rate in the lowest earning section, that's the sort of the minimum wage, restaurant workers, et cetera, uh, that number is north of 20%. And so the stimulus, I think it was, was, is really should have been targeted. It was very ill-conceived. Uh, people like portfolio managers, money managers benefit from stimulus when portfolio values rise, fiscal and monetary. Uh, investors benefit, yes. And it was, I think we could have done this more efficiently by targeting aid directly to those people in those interests, industries most impacted by the economic shutdown that would have had far less of a negative impact on the debt load of the U.S. Treasury, which continues to grow at a very substantial rate. Speaking of um, debt and uh, monetary policy, we'll go to monetary policy now. U.S. Federal Reserve met last week. Of course, they did not raise interest rates. As I mentioned prior, uh, banks will no longer be able to include treasuries as reserves for regulatory purposes. This was temporary, it was stimulative. This is the Fed's first very, 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 very minor reduction of uh, accommodation. And it points to the fact that they're going to be accommodated for a very significant period of time. They said as much in their statement. They also released, which they do every other meeting, this thing called the dot plot. And that is when it tells you what the voting members believe 
where short-term interest rates or Fed funds will be at a certain time. Throughout 2021, there is not a single member who believes that there will be a raise in interest rates. For all of 2022, there is one member who believes we could, or three members who believes we could get to 37 and a half, and just one member who believes we could be north of 50 basis points. So majority vote, democracy, unlikely at this point, unless data changes significantly, to have any interest rate hike on the Fed funds in 2022. Furthermore, some of these people who are making these projections now, that's their job, they're voting members, will actually not be voting members in 2022. Guess which ones they are? There are these ones. So it really becomes more likely than not that interest rates stay at essentially zero from the Fed funds perspective. How can they go a little higher? Well, maybe the Fed could reduce their asset purchases, and they will reduce and then eventually eliminate them, I believe, before they ever raise short-term rates. They're still making significant asset purchases of treasuries and mortgage-backed securities every month. I think they begin to signal an end to that later in 2021. The actual end doesn't take place until sometime in 2022. So yes, we've had a raise in interest rates this uh, year, but it is still off of basically zero. We have a long way to go. The other thing that I think is going to happen is I think that when we get into earnings season here, which is in about two and a half to three weeks, we'll begin Q1 earnings. We will continue to see earnings that surprise to the upside. Tech earnings were great throughout the pandemic, so their comparisons year over year won't be uh, astronomical. We won't be surprised by them, but the big gains are going to come in some of the cyclical names, right? So some of the industrials, materials, consumer discretionary, financials, which benefit from the steepening of the yield curve. And even ahead of earnings, we're seeing, uh, this is from Bloomberg, this is Bloomberg estimated earnings per share for the next 12 months. They are now up to peak all-time high, over $180 a share. It's easy to do the math, but a 20 handle on there, you're at 3,600 on the S&P. The S&P is actually at 3,900. So maybe you put a little bit more than a 20 handle on there or earnings come in above this 180 mark. And I think this earnings season is going to help further propel these estimates. And there are some Wall Street houses that are over $200 a share in estimate for this year. And therefore, I think this little sell-off that we've had is probably nearing uh, exhaustion at this point. Economic data this week, uh, existing home sales uh, came in uh, a little bit below this morning, a little bit below the 6.49 million estimate. Tomorrow, Tuesday, we'll get new home sales. Durable goods, manufacturing and services, PMIs from Marquette on Wednesday, both expected to be very good. Thursday, jobless claims, unfortunately still high, but GDP annualized for the first fourth quarter, expected unch at 4.1%. Friday, personal income spending, wholesale inventories, PCE, that's the big one, PCE price index that the Fed follows, March consumer sentiment. As always, I say thank you for tuning in. We'll be back to you again next week. Don't forget, follow me on Twitter at ETF underscore strategist.com, on LinkedIn, Herb Morgan, and this, this presentation now available as a podcast on most all podcast systems. <laughs>